1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the Book of Luke. After 400 years of prophetic silence from God, the angel Gabriel was sent to the priest Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth. ...to announce that they were going to have a child named John. John would be an important man used by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Gabriel then went to Mary, a young woman who God had chosen to be the mother of the Messiah... ...that was prophesied hundreds of years earlier. Mary was excited about the news, and went down to visit her cousin Elizabeth. When they saw each other, Elizabeth declared and confirmed to Mary... ...that she was carrying the Messiah in her womb... The time for John to be born had come. Zacharias was finally given back his ability to talk. His first words were of worship and praise to the amazing God that would do all these things, allowing him to be a part of the plan for the coming Messiah. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 1 verse 70.
0: So God sent Jesus to rescue us from that bondage. And this was something to save us from ourselves. And this was something that was promised in the Old Testament. For he says in verse 70 that God did this. He has visited us and redeemed us through sending the Messiah from the line of David as, verse 70, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament in his birth and his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all those things? Over 300. If I asked you to predict just three things about an event that in the future, none of us would get it right. If I asked you to predict eight things, you say, predict eight things, and we Punch it into a computer. The computer would come out with a number that said, you know, the, the chance of this happening would be something, something, something to like the 14th power or 23rd power or something crazy like that. You punch in 300 and something, the computer is going to have a, a blue screen of death. It's going to stop working. It's going to say impossible, cannot compute because it, it can't happen. It's impossible. And yet, that's what God did. He predicted from beginning to end. It says, as, from the, holy, as the holy prophets spoke, which have been since the world began... I'm gonna take you on a little light rail version of all the prophecies. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. We already saw the first one in Genesis three. I'm not gonna go over them all. I just wanna show you how they span through time. Genesis 12, we saw that the mother of creation in the sense of, you know, of all humanity, Eve, the promise is given to her and Adam there. But now God narrows it down here in chapter 12 of Genesis, verse three. where We find the father of the nation of Israel and God says to him, I'm choosing you. The Messiah is gonna come through you. The Lord tells Abraham, I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So not just the nation of Israel, but here he says, through you, what what all the world needs, what all the world's been looking for, it will come through you. The Messiah will come through you. God gets more specific in Genesis 22. I always find it interesting that this is the point where many people lose their faith that God would ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. When you read the story, you realize that A, he's not a little boy. He's a grown man. B, there was no chance he was ever going to get that far. And Abraham believed that. Don't ever believe any of the shows that show you Abraham pining and crying out to God. God, why would you ask me do this? Abraham believed full well that God would not let him go through with it. And he also trusted that if God did, he'd raise him right back from the dead. There was no anguish in Abraham's part. There was no sense of God. How could you ask someone to kill their own son? He knew God wasn't doing that. He knew God was doing something else. And we see evidence of it here in chapter 22 in verse eight. Isaac, you remember, he's, he's a grown man and he's carrying the wood because Abraham's old and he's carrying the wood and he says, dad, I see the, in the wood, we've got all the stuff for the, the offering except for the offering. Where's the offering, dad? And look at how Abraham responds. This is what he knew. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide, what? Himself, a lamb for a burnt offering. What a weird thing to say. Like I would never say that. Like if we were sitting around at a party and you know, and and someone looked around and said, "Hey, where's the, where's the the cake? You know, who brought the cake? You know, I wouldn't come and say I'm going to provide myself a cake. You know, I would never say it like that. I'll say I'll go get the cake. You know, or I would say, oh, you know, Uncle so and so is bringing the cake. Right? I wouldn't say Uncle so and so is himself is bringing the cake. Why? Why would he say that this way? Because he understood there was something deeper going on here. Because what this event, this act is that's going to take place, it was all to foreshadow about the Messiah, how God would provide himself a lamb, himself. He would be the lamb. He would be the lamb for our sins that takes away our sins, as John the Baptist declared. Look at 2 Samuel, fast-forwarding. There's numerous prophecies we're skipping right now. We wouldn't have time to get into 50 of them, let alone 300. Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. Here, God narrows it down even further. Not just from the line of Abraham, but from the line of David. The Lord promises David in Second Samuel, verses 12 and 13. And when your days, David's days, be fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wait a second. Solomon's kingdom has come and gone. I mean, it's, it's still not in existence today. His descendants are no longer, you know, around in that sense. So what is he talking about here? Well, David knew what he was talking about because look at how David responds in verse 18. After all this is said, it says in verse 18, then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me hitherto, that you have done this for me. And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. But you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. He says, is this the manner of man, O Lord God? This isn't something of man's doing. This is something unique you're doing. God promised David here that the Messiah would come from his line, a king who would reign forever and ever and ever. And of course, long after David and Solomon are dead, We turn now to Isaiah 9, where we were in our scripture reading. And we see here at the end of Judah's history, when they have a wicked king, King Ahaz, and and God is going to judge them. And he's been speaking of that judgment. And yet all in that judgment, he foreshadows the fact that someday the Messiah will come. Isaiah 9 verse 1, Nevertheless, the dimness, the gloom shall not be as such as it was in her vexation. In other words, when God's been disciplining them. When at the first, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. This is the area where Jesus lived and mostly ministered. That their darkness, their dimness, their gloom will be removed. For it says in verse 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's why their gloom will be removed. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. I'm gonna skip down to verse six because this is what that light is. Why? For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. That light first shined in Galilee where Jesus was born, where, he's being, uh, where John is being circumcised right now in our study today. These are just a few prophecies that as Zechariah said here, which have been since the world began from Genesis all the way to Isaiah, you know, Just a few of these many prophecies. God did all this despite the fact that there was a gloom there because they had disobeyed him and God had to discipline them. If God didn't abandon them, sending his son to die for their sins 2,000 years ago, then it proves that he hasn't abandoned us, that he sent his son to die for our sins 2,000 years ago as well. And that means that just like they could be rescued from the slavery of sin, so can we. Did God do this simply just because he had to? Well, okay, now I see it. he prophesied it. So now it had to happen, right? No. In fact, Zacharias explains that God did it because he loved them just like he loves us. Look at verse 72. Why did God do it? It says to perform the mercy to our fathers. You say, you forgot a word, Pastor Will. No, I didn't. The word promised is in italics, which means it's not there. And I don't know why the translators put it there because that's not Zacharias's point. It means to perform the mercy of our fathers, that love, that kindness, that concern that he had for them. The word means to show kindness or concern to someone who has a great need. Have you ever been moved to compassion for somebody that you saw having a great need? That's the love that God has for us. God doesn't look down at us and go, oh, a bunch of sinners. You know, I, I can't stand it. They don't do anything right. They cause all this pain and sorrow. He looks down and he says, they're in great need. His heart is toward us. See, it wasn't just God's promise that kept him faithful to his people, but the promise was given because of his love for his people. It was his love that kept him faithful towards his people and caused him to remember his holy covenant. The word remember means to take an active role again in that covenant. See, Israel had failed to keep their end of the bargain, but God kept his end of the bargain because he loves us. And in doing so, he brought about a better covenant, one dependent on his faithfulness alone. Because he references here not the covenant, covenant he made with Israel, but he mentions in verse 73, the promise he made, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. I love this because if you go back to Genesis 22, do it in your own time, but in that passage there where God gives his promise to Abraham, it's interesting, there's an event that occurs During this whole time of God's promise to Abraham, where God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham. And what happens when he's in that deep sleep? Prior to that, God had Abraham make an offering and separate the animal parts on two sides. And you say, that's kind of weird. Why would you cut an animal in half and put half on this side and the other half on this side? Well, they did deals a little bit differently than we do today. We sign on the dotted line or we shake hands or something like that. Back then, they cut animals in half and walked in between them. Why did they do that? Because in a covenant, the idea was you could only break your deal, go back on your word, not keep your promise. you would going to be let out of the deal if you could put the animal back together again. If someone, therefore, was going to be serious enough to go through with that kind of a covenant, then the idea was it was a deal you would never break, right? Well, what's interesting is if you read that passage, who walks through the animals? Abraham and God? No. Abraham's an observer. You see a torch and a lantern go through. God goes through with himself. The covenant is made with himself and therefore it is unconditional. And God knew that his people later on when he makes a covenant through Moses with the nation of Israel, he knew they wouldn't keep it. They don't keep it repeatedly. So he makes an unconditional oath to Abraham here. So he, because of his love, he can still bless them, even though they failed to keep their side of the deal. Israel often misunderstood why God gave them the land, gave them freedom from their enemies, but Zacharias didn't. He was a godly man. He says that he would grant unto us that we be delivered out of the hand of our enemies. We might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That phrase in holiness and righteousness is that Luke, he's not a Gentile, remember? It's a Greek phrase. And and the Greeks use this phrase for the everlasting principles of right and wrong. They were given prior to any law or custom of man. It's the eternal laws of God. See, God, he he did this for Israel, gave them a land, made them his people, gave them a covenant so that and gave them freedom so that they could walk in his ways and he could have a, a relationship with them. See, what the Messiah would restore is not just their freedom from enemies, but their relationship with God. For in Jeremiah 31, it says, and this is the covenant, the new covenant I will make with them. I will write my law on their hearts and they'll no longer break my laws, but they'll keep my laws. And everyone will know the Lord. Hasten the day, right? <laughs> But that's what he said he would do. So he was not just coming to free them from their enemies, but he was coming to restore the relationship with God, to do what Adam failed to do in the very beginning, to break the power of sin and enable us to live for God, to make up the the hedge in the sense that of the big gap that Adam opened by his sin when he failed, Jesus would succeed and he would break the power of the devil and he would enable us to live for God again having declared how awesome God is for what he's done, the fact that that's that's what Christmas meant to him, the fact that Christ, he was sending his son to die for our sins, and thirdly, that God's love is there for us, it kept him faithful to his people, Zacharias now turns to the final thing that made Christmas special for him, and it was his newborn son, John. And so he turns to his little boy, and he says, "'And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, "'prophet of the highest, "'for you shall go before the face of the Lord "'to prepare his ways.'" See, the fourth thing that Christmas meant to Zacharias was that God allowed him to play a part, that he had a role to play. John's mission was to prepare the way for the Lord. He will be the advanced man to prepare Israel to be in the right mindset for their Messiah. Now, Isaiah 40 talked about how there would be a man, a voice crying in the wilderness who would prepare the people for their Messiah. And every crooked way would be made straight. Every valley would be exalted. Every mountain would be brought low. That was John's job. How would he do that job? Well, by doing everything that Zacharias just prophesied about. By teaching God's people about this new covenant based on forgiveness. Look at verse 77. He'll prepare their ways by giving knowledge of salvation unto his people through the remission of their sins. He's going to give an experience of a relationship with God again through the pardon and forgiveness of sins. Why? Because of God's love, through the tender mercy of our God. The word tender there means to have great affection or compassion for someone. John's job was to tell the people that God loved them and that they could experience his forgiveness despite their unfaithfulness to their side of the deal. That's great news, isn't it? You know, who else offers deals like that? Not Macy's, not Toys R Us. They don't offer deals like that. If you come and you, you know say, okay, this costs this and you walk up and you pay it, you know, and, and then your credit card bounces, all right? They're not, and then you walk back and go, hey, my credit card bounced, I'm sorry. Can you can can I pay here in cash? They're not gonna come to you and go, you know what, actually, here's the cool thing. We've actually got a better deal for you today. They're not gonna do that. They're gonna grumble and be like, yeah. But that's what the Lord did for us. We failed to keep our end of the bargain and then he came to us and said, I wanna give you a better deal. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he cares about us. That was going to be John's sermon. Now, how would God make that New Deal happen? We've already studied it, but he says it again by sending Jesus. For it says, whereby, or this is how it's going to happen, the dayspring from on high, from heaven, has visited us. The dayspring was a, a, a title used in the Old Testament a few times for the Messiah. For the Messiah comes from heaven to visit us. Why? To give light to them. This is from Isaiah 9. To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. See, because God loved us, God didn't want to leave us a slave to our sins. And so he entered our world to show us the way back to himself. And that's what the birth of Christ is all about, Charlie Brown. God shined a light into our dark place where we were separated from him in order to guide us out of it and into a right relationship with him. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not just about the birth, I mean, which is great. And I'm not trying to, you know, get all Charlie Brown theology bad on you, but the idea is, is that it wasn't just a birth, a special birth, but it was a birth that was gonna lead to the cross. He was born to die. Just as John had a purpose to live that was different and why he had a different name. His name means gracious, the Lord is gracious, right? You know? In the same way Jesus had a mission, and he was to die for our sins, you know. Now, the cool part for Zacharias, why this was special to him, that his son was involved in this, was because it meant he had a role to play in the process too. For it says here, in verse 80, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. The word there means he was physically and emotionally strong. You know, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they had the wonderful role of raising him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord that he would be prepared for the task that was in front of them. But in addition, it says they kept him out of public life until the time was right. You know, the deserts and the the hills of Judea, they are very lowly populated. They're still today, you know, still today very lowly populated. And despite all the talking going on, John's parents kept him out of the limelight, kept him out of the public eye until the time was right. That was their job. That can be a reason for us to have Christmas be special to us too because Jesus' final words to us before he went back to heaven were very similar to Zacharias' experience because we have a role to play as well. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus' last words are recorded for us. And it says here, Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded with you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Guys, we have a responsibility to go out and tell the world to make disciples And what better time to declare that news with joy than Christmas? You know, Christmas is special, as I said at the beginning, to lots of people for lots of different reasons. But consider Zacharias' reasons when you celebrate this year. Number one, God is awesome and he's worthy to be told so. Make sure that you consider taking time to tell the Lord how awesome he is this Christmas, amen? Secondly, God sent Jesus to rescue me from my sin. If you don't know the Lord today, consider this Christmas receiving God's wonderful gift and experiencing that relationship with him coming out of darkness into his marvelous light. Number three, the fact that God's love kept him faithful to his people. Christmas can be a crazy time. Some of you have already come to me and said, Lord, Pastor, I need prayer. I got crazy relatives coming in. I understand that. But consider resting in his love this Christmas. You know, you may not find rest in all the events, but find rest in his love this Christmas. And then lastly, you have a part to play. God gave Zacharias a role. Consider asking God what your part in his plan is this Christmas. I think you'll find Christmas be a little bit better this year than it's ever been. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't have that relationship with God, and you felt him tugging on your heart today, don't let another moment go by. You say, how do I do that? All you have to do is ask. We are under the shadow of death right now. Have you ever considered why we die? I hear people say, well, that's just the normal cycle of life. To which I politely say, baloney. That is not the normal cycle of life. It's not the way God designed things to be. In fact, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. He that believes in me shall never die. You say, that's crazy. And to which I would tell you, I believe it. (laughs) So the question is, why don't you? See, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Your paycheck, you earn by your deeds, death. That's what we earn. So you say, well, I don't don't think I deserve that. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything regardless of its value? Have you ever looked upon a woman with lust in your heart or, or a man? Have you always honored your father and mother? You know, have you ever had something in your life that was more important than God? Those are just five of the 10 commandments and we've broken them. Now, the good news is that the gift of God, which can't be earned, it's a gift, is eternal life. And doesn't that sound better than death? So as we pray, just tell the Lord, say, Lord, I give you my life. I I turn from my way of doing things. I don't wanna try to to be good anymore in that sense and, and think that's gonna get me to heaven. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I give you my life. And God's promise to you is he'll take you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this insight that we have into Zacharias' life and, and to see what Christmas meant to him and the joy it brought him. And Lord, we wanna have that same mindset today. Lord, that we recognize how awesome you are and we tell you that we declare your worth and we honor you. So Lord, we give our lives to you, our hearts to you. And we want to not miss you this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: No one is deserving of God's mercy and grace. We are all deserving of God's wrath and judgment. Yet because of God's great love, He has freely given us redemption. He purchased us from the slavery of sin and shame. He will never abandon us. God only wants to be near His people. Even in their sins, He doesn't withdraw from them. It is the very reason he came down. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando.